Welcome to the Garden Angelus, where we talk about flowers, veggies, and all the best dirt. I'm Dean Ash from Guthrie, Oklahoma, where I garden on 7.5 acres out in the country. And I'm Carol Michael from Indianapolis, Indiana. I have a suburban garden measured in square feet. It's less than a third of an acre. We call ourselves Garden Angelists because we are evangelists for gardening. We love gardening and we want you to love it too. Yes, we do. And we aren't afraid to spill the beans and tell all of our gardening secrets, the good, the bad, and even the ugly. But that's enough of who, what, when, where. Let's move on to this week's episode. Hello, Dee. Hello, Carol. Hey, the turning of the calendar, girl. Yeah, I did turn my calendars this morning because we're recording this on March the 1st. I am turning mine right now. Tell me what's in your garden and what's going on. So, Dee, I went outside yesterday. It rained in the morning, sunny in the afternoon, and I went outside. And my crocus lawn, I won't say it's in full bloom, but it's pretty darn close. Okay, so I watched your YouTube, and it is pretty darn close because it was all about the crocus. Yes. Yeah, I took video, and then I took a video of a bee. And it took me like two seconds. I'm like, okay, where are the bees? And like two seconds, like there's a bee right at my feet. Yes. So yes, it's on YouTube. I'll put a link to that for folks that want to see the, the crocus lawn. And it's really exciting. I, I planted no new crocuses last year. So these are all returning and they're in clumps. So I know that they're starting to spread. And I'm very excited about it. As you can tell, I am so excited. Yeah, they... They look really good, I have to say. Now, I'm just going to quickly say, I did crocus in the lawn, not the Bermuda lawn, people, because that's ugly. I did it in my fescue lawn for several years, and then I got voles. And they just, I mean, they annihilated the crocus. And so, lots of tunnels in my yard. It was it was a nightmare. And I only have this tiny little fescue lawn in the front of the house. So I gave up, sadly. But that's okay. I can enjoy your Well, and I, I just feel like if I keep planting them, there's no way that voles are going to eat every single one. There's too many out there. Yeah. So I'm going to keep going. Yeah. Uh, this isn't the only flower I plant in the lawn. I plant Glory of the Snow, which is a conodoxa. I won't see those for another month, hopefully. But the lawn is looking really good. And Man, it's like it's suddenly spring, and two weeks ago we were all like, winter, oh my God, the snow, the ice. And now it's like, I, I got to text the greenhouse because I think they're going to start selling some of their violas and pansies. I got to be first. That's the tradition. Yeah, because that's your tradition. Exactly. Along with all, you have a lot of traditions for one moment. I do. I'm just saying. Anyway, you do. enough about me and my garden, D. I am so excited about your gardening. Yeah, because you're going to give me a hard time. Again. So everyone, I prepared a spreadsheet of my seeds. Go ahead, Carol. And you made fun of my spreadsheet and your spreadsheet's further along than my spreadsheet. And so, yeah, people. I'm just going to say, I'm just going to say, I I am sorry. I bow to the spreadsheet people because this was a great way to know what I had. And I have a lot of dang seeds, a lot of dang seeds, but I always do. I always have a lot of seeds. But then I took all my seed packets and I put them in a photo album. One of those ones was sleeves. Now you're like crazy, obsessed, organized gardener. I do want to ask, how many seed packets do you have, Dee? I don't know. I didn't add them up at the bottom of the spreadsheet. Well, you don't have to add. How many rows does your spreadsheet have? I don't remember how many rows my spreadsheet has. I have more than when I sent it to you because... 
I went and ordered a few more from Renee's Garden Seeds. Of course you did. And my <laughs> Renee's Garden Seeds, the post office tells me that they are arriving today. Oh, well, mine are not arriving today because I ordered mine later than you did. So I, I put down, I wanted to just say this was a great idea. It was Carol's idea. And then I put everything in that photo album according to when I plant it. So, so the wait a minute, wait a minute, repeat that again. This was Carol's idea. It was a great idea. That that's like that's like a I know, song you're just title. eating that you're just eating that up. Yum 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 yum. <laughs> don't don't hurt yourself patting yourself on the back. Okay. Okay. And then so the spreadsheet is alphabetized and I pull it down all the planting dates. And so that was really good because for one thing even though I kind of know when to plant everything because I've been doing this so long, on some of those flowers that I'm starting indoors, I needed to get those seeds started, and I did. So that was a good thing for me. And um, I just wanted to say this is how I'm organizing them according to planting. Early spring, direct sow, which I'm going to put in probably this week. Early spring, start indoors, which I missed. Direct sow, late spring, and then here's the thing. I want to tell everybody, if you missed a cool season planting date, just feel like a failure, don't. Just plant it in fall instead. That's good. If you miss it by a lot. If you miss it by a little bit, just do it again. Just do it. It doesn't matter. I, the only thing I've missed is like if I wanted to grow broccoli or cabbage. But you can buy those as starts anyway. And to be honest, those are going to be cabbage moth butterfly magnets. So I don't usually grow those anyway. All right. There you go. So how many seeds? You have to look that up and tell us. I'll look that up uh, while you do the quote. Okay. Here is our quote. I believe all gardeners carry with them an original flora, if even only in memory. An original flora is comprised of the plants that formed our seminal experiences with gardens and landscapes. These memories inform the plants we often feel the need to grow, an anthropogenic compass that may or may not relate exactly to the place we find ourselves that's by our friend kelly norris we're going to talk about his yes. book in a bit we're really excited about kelly's book so i took all the quotes out of kelly's book when i read it you to answer your question about the number of seeds i have 89 rows but that's 89 packets of seed but on some of them i have a couple of packets of seeds so like for zinnias if you bought zinnia seed from Florette, there aren't very many seeds in the packet. And I might want to plant them in two of my cutting garden beds, which those are being rehabbed. I got a lot going on, girl. Oh, yeah, you got a lot going on. Um, I'm looking at my seed list before we start talking about our topic because you want to know. Oh, you're way ahead of me. Way ahead of me. Yeah, I'm ridiculous. Yeah, I only have 85. Oh, I'm not way ahead of you. I have 89. That's four. It's way ahead. I, I, okay. I feel like a slacker compared to you. Anyway, we're going to so, talk about our seminal flowers that we simply must grow. What flowers are they for you, Dee? Okay, and why we grow them. Because yes. I think that's important. I read that quote in the book, and I, I don't highlight very many gardening books, but I highlighted a lot in this one. Okay, so for me, everybody who knows me, it's roses, number one, and zinnias, number two. And I know roses get a bad rap because people think they're hard to grow, but they really aren't. If you have decent soil and you just put a layer of compost on your soil every year, you don't necessarily have to feed them, okay? And it depends on the type of rose you grow. 
For me, I grow a lot of roses that give a lot of bang for the buck, high floral output, low on disease, and low on excess maintenance. And I thought of two that immediately came to mind of those roses that I would suggest to somebody if they have the same requirements I have. Okay? And those would be? Harlow Carr, named after the famous garden in England, and Desdemona from the play by Shakespeare. So Desdemona, Harlow Carr. Harlow Carr is a mid-range pink. It has great, it has nice blooms. It produces a lot of flowers. It's very easy care, kind of thorny. Uh, Desdemona, high level of blooms. And you can put, in fact, in fact, in the book, The New Naturalism by Kelly, he actually has a kind of a rehab of a rose garden where you grow roses in with other plants. And that's what I already do. So I was kind of excited to see that. And then zinnias, you're, I think you're going to mention zinnias. Zinnias are just special, easy flowers that you can grow almost anywhere with full sun. That is true. And I probably planted some as a child. Oh, I should just quickly say roses, probably because of my grandmother. She had a climbing rose next to her porch and one that climbed up a tree, a rambler. And because she means so much to me, um, I think that's why I like roses. Very good. And I, you know, roses are not a big part of my gardening. I don't remember my no. grandmother's having roses. Probably the one in the city did. Um, probably they both did. But the we talked about last week the rose that my dad had on the fence, which I think is a Seven Sisters rose. And if I was going to get into roses and climbing roses, I'd have to find that one. You can find that one, by the way. It still exists. And the thing is, is I think you could get into rose, you know, and just plant that one for your dad if you wanted to. But what are your, what are your ones that you have to grow? So I have to have lily of the valley, which people say, oh, that's invasive. I try to get rid of that. But it's not invasive here. I... I also have to have violets, which people are, oh, that's a weed. And like, I picked those as kids. You know, we would go to my grandmother's and we'd pick lily of the valley and we'd pick violets because they were blooming at the same time. So that's, those are two seminal right. plants. And I let the violets grow wild in my garden. And about 25 years ago, I think, or 26, I went through, and this was before we would go online to buy seeds. I went to all these catalogs and I ordered violet seeds for like something called freckles, which is a speckled violet, um, and right. then one that was a variegated leaf. But I ordered like five or six varieties of violets, and they're long gone from the, my previous garden. But one of them is Viola mancherica, which is variegated, mm -hmm. but it's kind of lost its variegation, and it grows over on the side, has kind of a pinkish bloom. So in the spring, I'm starting to take those and plant them in other areas so they'll spread about because they just seem to thrive on nothing. And that's that's what, what's nice about violets. They thrive on nothing. I have violets and, and they just here, are here naturally. And I can tell you they thrive on nothing because mice drag their little seeds around and yeah, they get in my pathways and stuff. But here's the thing. I love violets and mine grow under a tree where no grass will grow. Yes. And that's a good point. And if they for start them. to get really kind of aggressive, I say, in and they can, if the soil is rather fertile, they are they're yeah. easy to pull out. They never are big rooted down in there kind of thing. So I always have lots of shallow violets. And they always remind me of my mom as well. That was her favorite flower. 
And then because of the violets, I have to have the violas and pansies in the spring. I mean, it's like, I'm all excited to go get them this week. I've got to have them. Yeah. Yeah. And violas and pansies are not a huge uh, bee plant, but I think I need them because they're just, um, they're like the first breath of spring. They're also the last bit of fall in Oklahoma because they actually, you can overwinter them here, but... Not every year, but right now, even with all that cold weather, they were under the snow, and so they were insulated. So I just need to kind of trim mine up and um, add a few more. And then you also mentioned zinnias. Yeah, zinnias. My dad would grow zinnias in his garden, and I remember, I've got a picture. The zinnias were like six feet tall. And this last year, my zinnias were about six feet tall. You hit a good growing year, and the zinnias, if you get the tall varieties. But like you said, easy to sow, easy easy to grow. Uh, lots of color. They're great with kids because the bees and the butterflies and everybody comes to see them. Great thing to grow with kids, right? Because the seeds are fairly large. It's a quick plant. And I hear a lot about mildew. People complain about mildew. Certain varieties are less prone to mildew, like uh, the Oklahoma series is less prone to mildew. And some of the newer zinnias, I think the Zowie group is very not prone to mildew. And then some of the subspecies, we're actually talking about Xenia elegans, the big, beautiful Xenia. Right. I think the kinds your dad grew probably too were the California giants because that was a big name at the time. Yeah. And the, the, uh, they call them the dahlia flower yes. types or the cactus flower yeah. types that look more like a dahlia. So I actually bought that history of Xenias last oh, yeah, summer, that's right. which was really kind of a fun read. I also have books about violets and violas that were written like in the early 20th century that are mm-hmm. fun. Well, people people so, didn't think of violets and violas as being they thought of them as charming plants. Like they did and they they were much more scented back in the day and some of the violet varieties that they grew uh to make little nosegays for women, they had very long flower stems um and they they were bred mm-hmm. for that. I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say something, D, that might be controversial. I'm ready. I think if it grows in your climate, there are two sins you should never commit. Sins? That's really heavy. Okay. You should never pull out violets and you should never have a summer garden without zinnias. I laid down the law. Wow, you did. Now, you mean... You should not pull out all violets. Like, you can pull out one that's a problem. Right. But if you have violets, don't hate on them too much. I mean, they're pretty good. No. In fact, I have a tree on the side of my yard, uh, a ginkgo tree, and one violet showed up around the base where it Mm -hmm. just had mulch. And now it's filled with violets, and I leave it because I think it looks pretty. Sometimes they look all droopy in the hot summer. But I I don't weed those out. I thought that's natural ground cover. Yeah, that's how I feel about violets too. And we're gonna get a I mean, some people are gonna write us and go, Oh my gosh, there's no way I would let violets grow in my garden. And you know what? I say it's up to you. It's your garden, you do what you want. Exactly, except for Carol's laws of gardening. But Carol's which, yeah, okay. Carol has a lot of laws, y'all. Now, listeners, we're gonna ask the same question of you. What are your seminal flowers that you simply must have? And how do you incorporate them into a diverse garden that's beautiful and benefits the gardener 
and all of the gardens, residents and visitors, human and otherwise. And you can email us at thegardenangelist at gmail.com, or you can comment on our page on Facebook or in the group, or you can message us on either Instagram or Facebook. And I keep up with those, because Carol really doesn't do social media anymore. And it might be a day or two before I get to you, but I will respond. And we might actually share some of our listeners' favorite plants. We will. We will. And if they got complicated, that that question was kind of complicated. We'll put it in the show notes. I'm sorry. But the main question is, what flowers do you have to grow and why? There's their simple version of the question. Yeah, that's the simple version. It's because I was reading that book. Okay, we have a quote. Go for it. For all... For all the references to cleaning up in garden books for the last century, you'd swear gardens were dirtied or dirty or sullied. While the conclusion of winter brings about a necessary period of garden work, I prefer to think of this as a restart rather than a refresh. Kelly Norris. Very good. And so now we're going to talk about seminal veggies. Seminal veggies. What vegetables do you have to grow? Do you want me to go first this time? You yes, know, I do. You know what it is. I knew exactly what it was going to be. I got to grow peas, and I got to vo- grow the variety Green Arrow in particular. And you're talking about shelling peas, right? Green Arrows. They are. It's an English shelling pea. And I used to be such a failure at growing these. And then I had a box of seeds from the year my dad died. I carried this box around for years. And finally, one day I was looking through it, and he had sown his seeds on March the 7th. And I was sowing mine like in April. And I thought, there's the ticket. I got to sow them a whole lot Mm -hmm. earlier. So my traditional pea sowing day is March the 17th. And I always have to have green arrow. At least one, one of the varieties has to be green arrow. So in England, peas are a thing. I mean, shelling peas are a huge part of gardens in England and also part of their food, traditional food. And one of the things they make is something called mushy peas, which actually sounds terrible, but it's delicious. And they make it with fresh peas, and then they kind of mash them like potatoes. And it, Ooh, that, it, no, it doesn't sound good, does it? But it's delicious. It, does, it doesn't, but it does. Because the first thing I'm thinking, mushy peas, kind of smash them around, add a little bacon. Bacon or butter. Because mm-hmm. bacon makes every, <laughs> bacon makes it better. And of course, I've got to grow tomatoes, but everybody grew up with a garden where there were homegrown tomatoes. You got to have homegrown tomatoes. Yeah, I think everybody wants to grow a tomato, which isn't the easiest thing to grow. We've talked about that before. And also, um, people want strawberries too. I think those are the things I get asked about the most. Neither thing is super easy to grow, but you can do it. So for me, mine are, I have to grow spring lettuce. And I especially have to grow black seeded Simpson because my grandmother grew it and she, and I also have to have spring onions, which are the same thing as green onions. If you buy them in the store, right. they're green onions. If you take them out of your garden, they're spring onions. And there's nothing like the fa- flavor of spring vegetables, whether we're talking about mushy peas or a salad. And my grandmother, spring doesn't start for me until I've made my grandmother's wilted leaf lettuce salad. And I've posted about it on the blog more than once, and also on my Instagram story, I think. So it's a great one, just a great one. Well, we'll put a link to your wilted lettuce salad, wilted leaf salad, 
And I was going to say, Dee, you've influenced me. I haven't grown black-seeded Simpson in a while. And you know what? I ordered seeds for black-seeded Simpson. Well, it's a really good lettuce. It's a really good light green. It's very mild in flavor. It's a it's an heirloom, which is kind of cool too. So, yes. So those are that's the vegetable garden. And we again, if somebody has like, I have to grow this particular vegetable in my garden, shoot us an email at thegardenangelist at gmail dot com, and we might include some comments next time. I think that would be really fun. All right, I'm going to do the next quote. Go for it. Good garden design is less about drawings that represent ideas or static plans but rather more a form of judgment that responds to and considers space, plants, and long-range goals. Again, Kelly Norris. And you took all these from his new book, which is New Naturalism, Designing and Planting a Resilient Ecological Home Garden by Kelly Norris. Yes. Um, And I read it yesterday, and I sat down and read the whole thing cover to cover. Um, Because I actually had some time to really read it. Because normally when I read gardening books, for the most part, I've been gardening a long, long time, and I kind of just skim them. Because a lot of them have the same thing to say. This is not one of those. Um, This book is pretty complicated, and I'm just going to go out there. I hope hope Kelly doesn't mind. I'm going to say it might not be for the first-time gardener, but I found that really refreshing. I bet we, uh, yeah, I have not had a chance to dive into it, but I find that exciting because like you, many of the books have basic information, which is very good yes. and very good for a lot of gardeners, but something a little more advanced you yeah, know, it's, for our refined palates. <laughs> At least a little more advanced that makes us think about gardening differently. And I think this does. Yes. So, um, and I'm sorry about my voice today, guys, you know, it's spring and I'm starting to get the allergies. So Kelly goes in some questions I got asked about it um, because people knew I had it. Um, He goes into both native and cultivar plantings. This is not just about natives. He does think we should plant more natives. And I think of this book as an extension of Doug Tellamy's work. You know, he's written Uh several books on growing more natives for pollinators and also for birds and other animals. And also Pete Udolph's work along with Noel Kingsbury and others. And the reason I say that is I think it's Kelly's take on how our gardens can be both beautiful and help all the creatures who come here and also help the planet, okay? And his principles, I'm telling you, it's fairly complicated. And I'm just going to show this to Carol. There isn't a page, well, unless it's a photograph, on this book where I didn't extensively highlight. Can you see it, Carol? Wow, you did extensively highlight. Yeah, I did. I can't wait. I... I might have to do that this afternoon. You should read it. I think you'll I think that. you'll really like it. Um, so I was going to say his principles are that you should first think about the matrix, which is the plant under layer that keeps everything knit together and also lets you not use as much mulch. And um, But right. you plant it last, but you think about it first. The structure, which are trees, shrubs, herbaceous perennials, that of course provide structure. And this would inc- also include your backdrop that the gardens show up against which might be evergreen, okay, which might be a challenge in Oklahoma. I've been driving throughout the city, and all the deodor cedars everywhere I look are dead because of that weather we had this year. So, you know, that's one that we can actually grow real well in Oklahoma. Oklahoma, being part of the prairie, doesn't have a lot of evergreens. And Kelly is from Iowa, so there's that. Um, But he talks about stuff that can be 
you know, planted throughout. So finally, there are the vignettes. And he says, vignettes are something that you show on Instagram. You know, all those pictures Ah, on Instagram. And they're the show-off plants. They're seasonal beauty, among other things. And so the last half of the book has planting schemes and and generous plant lists that work in many places throughout the U.S. So I think it's one of the best books that has come out this year. Kelly knows his stuff. Um, He's, you know, we've known him a long time. He's very, very smart. He's very generous with his time. And um, I actually admire this book a lot. Well, good. I'm going to dive into it. And uh, you've certainly put it up on a, I don't want to say a pedestal, but when you mention his book in the same breath as Doug Tallamy's books and Pete Oldoff books, then we know that this is, this is one we're going to long remember. Yeah, it's not one I'm going to get rid of. And I will think about things that he brought up. And one of the things he said, and I've learned some things from one of the most important things he said, actually, I thought about because my husband and I are rehabbing my cutting garden. And, um, he's, and when they took out, it's a long story, but when they took out the soil, um, Bill said, Hey, when we get all that soil back filled in around the bed edges, he said, I'll till that for you. And I said, no, you will not till that for me. And one of the things Kelly brought up that I didn't think about is it adds to, and I hope I say this the right way. So greenhouse gases, And everything suppresses greenhouse gases, right, which keeps the earth not so warm. Um, When you till, that not only exposes weed seeds, changes the structure of the soil, which we've talked about a lot, kills earthworms. It also puts carbon up in the air. I did not know that part. I did not know that last piece. And he even cited the study or studies. And so I thought that was really interesting. Anyway, we've talked enough about it, and I know we want to do our dirt, and we're probably getting close. Well, let's just tell people one more time. That's New Naturalism, Designing and Planting a Resilient Ecological Home Garden by Kelly Norris, available today. And that is from, I think it's Cool Springs. I think it is. Only they call it, yeah, Quartro. Quartro Press, yes. Yeah. Very good. Very good. On to the dirt. D, you found this article. You read it, didn't you? I did. And it's Adrian Higgins in the Washington Post talks about ecological perennial gardens are all the rage, but they also need to be pleasing to the eye. True that. Well, since I talked so much about Kelly's book, you're welcome to talk about the article, which I thought tied right in. Yeah, it does tie right in. And it sort of says, and there's been a movement for a long time and gardening goes in movements, you know, start with the Victorians used to bed everything out all nice and neat and rows and you know, snip things to death, and then you went into a more natural state. And so I think we're in this movement now that says that gardens are more than lawns and a row of shrubs up by the house that you want to create. People want to create wildlife habitats, and you gripe about the voles, and I would gripe about the voles too, but having habitats for birds and rabbits and lots of the pollinators, so moths we talk about and butterflies and bees, and having native plants that sort of um, take advantage of where you're at instead of like forcing things in and making them bend to your will. Mm-hmm. It's like, let's go more to the natural side and just have a better, more attractive gardening by growing what will grow really well in your native climate, growing your right. natives. But you do still have to take care of it. And 
Um, you're still going to lose some plants, which um, I don't know where I was going with that. But the point is they still need to be beautiful, and they can be. And so right. that's, I mean, gardens are also for people. And so there's that fine line between gardening for the planet and all of its creatures and gardening for yourself and, and your visitors that are human. So, right. And if you um, don't care, if you don't take care of a garden and it becomes a weedy mess, you can't pass it off as a garden. It is a weedy mess. <laughs> it is. It is a weedy mess. And, and, you know, and there are also, um, covenants and um, restrictions on certain homeowners. You can't get rid of the lawn, but you can sure encroach on that lawn you as can. much as you want. <laughs> If you have a small space and you want to encroach on it quite a bit and bring more beds out and maybe have a berm or whatever, get some help, though. Um, This is not the easiest kind of gardening to do, in my opinion. And my garden has been shifting to that for a long time. In fact, a visitor once said, well, it's not really an English garden now. It's more of a prairie garden. And I'm like, yeah, it's a prairie garden with rooms or it's an English garden with stuff that can grow in Oklahoma. Okay. So we have, an, we have one more quote from the book, and this one made me laugh. It says, okay. plants grow. This is perhaps our greatest hope. Please grow. And our most earnest plea. Please don't grow out of my control. And that's by Kelly. Kelly Norris. Very, that is very true. You want them to grow, but <laughs> you don't want them to get all, yeah. <laughs> We're back to those violets again. Well, yeah, but you know, I have a quasi native garden with, uh, where we planted the grasses are sort of the matrix. And then I try to keep it to be native wildflowers inside that matrix. Right. But some of those grasses, they, they show up in clumps along the path. And I'm like, no, you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to stay in the bed. <laughs> yeah, it's always a challenge. Anything that does well in your garden will also sometimes do too well. So I thought that kind of fit right in with our garden commission. Uh-huh. And do you want me to go first or you? You go first because I went first on the other. Okay, I started some seeds for flowers because some flowers have to be started indoors, just like tomatoes and peppers have to be started indoors. And I seem to be obsessed with Nicotiana this year. I am growing two... Um, sub, I'm growing two species of Nicotiana, and I didn't write them down, so I don't know which ones they, you know, are. And also, I'm growing three varieties, so it's just um, bizarre. I don't know why I'm growing so many, but that'll be fine. And actually, it's a great plant if you don't want your leaves all chewed up because it has nicotine in it, and most things won't eat it except for grasshoppers. Um, and I also started several peppers. I started some sweet peppers, but. I don't like to grow bell peppers, so I started one called Candy Cane Red and one called Cubanelle, and I'm going to start tomatoes next week, I think. And I also bought onion plants because I never got my onion seeds started. But I think I'm going to use them as green onions in the fall. So That's start. a good idea. Yeah. That's it. And so, so Dee, you're going to laugh because, yeah, I got to look it up. Um I don't think I brought, I, I'm pretty sure, yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't buy Nicotiana seeds. Mm-hmm. And I swear I meant to. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> and so I'm thinking, well, do I have some seeds left over from last year? You might year? have Langsdorfi because you've grown it before, right? I grew the white one last year, the Nicotiana. A lot of. A lot of. Yeah. 
But now I think, oh, I think I need some Nicotiana seeds, don't you? Oh, no. I think you do, girl. Oh, I know I do. Um, I might see if I can find some at the store. I bet you the greenhouse will have them because, you know, that a lot of is pretty... Uh, yeah, the, they don't usually have the plants. Uh, well, not the plants. I thought maybe they might have a stand of seeds like my... They have greenhouse. a very small stand of seeds. This is a small place. This is not big. So they have a few seeds, but not very many. Um, but this week, here's what. I'm going to finish organizing my seeds on my spreadsheet. I'm going to start doing a bit of garden cleanup because the weather is so wonderful this week. I mean, it's getting up into the 40s, but it's sunny. And I feel like, yeah, you get out there and it feels cold for about two seconds and then you lose yourself in the garden. And then I'm pretty sure I should either get a text from my little greenhouse or I'm going to text them and say, hey, got to buy the violas this week. A little bit early, but I want to do it. That's my Yeah, I think week. that sounds like fun. Um, it and also buy Nicotiana seeds. Oops. <laughs> well, I have three types. If I could send you the plants, I would. All right. Well, that's about it for this week. We want to thank everyone for listening to The Garden Angelist. If you like our podcast, please tell your friends about us. Also, hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode. And if you listen to Apple Podcasts, we'd love a five-star review. That helps us get noticed by others. Could you also share our podcast with your friends? Word of mouth is the best way to get the word out there. Yes, and be sure and check out our show notes for links for more information about today's topics, plus links to our own websites. And if you want to help support us, use the affiliate links. If you buy something after clicking through on them, we are in a small commission and it costs you nothing. It was lovely to chat with all of you over the garden gate today. Bye until next week. Bye. <laughs>